Iowa's on hold with tech support. Dell Root Assist. AWS gets trumped. GAFA update. Test driving Windows 10X. IBM spins up a new head, and we talk about the effects of automation. Tonight on the Iron Sysadmin Podcast, episode 74. bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome to the show, folks. We're only uh, 23 minutes late. <laughs> Iron Sysadmin Standard Time. It's the way it goes. Ah, I'm your host, Nate, as usual, and tonight I have two co-hosts, so that means we have to get into contention as to who gets to say their name first. So, um, anybody have a coin? Somebody flip a coin. Somebody call heads or tails. Sideways. Sideways. Okay. So as you heard, <laughs> there's Jason. <laughs> and joined, I don't know, when's the last time you were on the show, Charles? Might be before I oh, left. Oh, gosh. Is it before I left uh, the college? <laughs> I feel like I had at least one passive-aggressive appearance afterwards where we talked about what it's like when your sysadmin rage quits to go take a better job and you know, how you I, cope with loss. I see. So... I seem to remember you talking about that, but it could just be that you, you know, did that socially. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah, oh, it's, it's been a couple of months. Yeah, that uh, it has. I'm happy to be back. You were busy, and then you were sick, and we're glad you're feeling better. <laughs> All right. So tonight's topic is, and we've touched on this before, but we're going to do it again because beating a dead horse is fun. We're going to talk about automation, but... Um, mainly because I, while I was looking for news for tonight's show, I came across this article from a site that we've generally agreed that we don't necessarily love because it's, I don't know, weird. Anyway, um, from informationsecuritybuzz.com, uh, security professionals anticipate automation will reduce IT security headcount, but not replace human expertise. And so this is based on a report made by the Ponymon Institute, which sounds like a uh, villain from the My Little Pony series. In, part in partnership with Domain Tools. Domain Tools is a name people recognize. I've never heard of the Ponymon Institute. Have you guys? I I have, but I don't remember in what in what context am, am i even but based on their based on their report i'm not sure that i want to hear about them anymore <laughs> am i even pronouncing it right is it, is it like ponymon it, maybe no it's it's ponymon okay ponymon uh so the report is called staffing the it security function in the age wait did i read no i, I got that right I think in the I age think, of automation i think malicious link mentioned them before on the defensive sec podcast okay well they're they're good about reading uh, reports so anyway we also linked the report itself in the uh in the excuse me in the show notes um it's a pdf so if you don't like pdfs i'm sorry how else would you like a report published html maybe 
Java. We should make it like this big, crazy Java app. Yeah, that'd be so much better. Anyway, I'm rambling. And good night, folks. I'm out of here. <laughs> okay, compile the Thor file. So, yeah, right. So, basically, uh, the survey, um, they surveyed more than 1,000 IT and IT security par- practitioners. I should go look at the report and see how many. Like, is it 1,002? Is that more than 1,000? Or is it like... 1,099, so they couldn't say 1,100. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, the report is basically talking about IT automation. Not IT automation, but IT security automation. And uh, some of the some of the out- outputs were things that struck me as, I don't know, maybe interesting. And I thought we would talk about them, and as we usually do, just sort of rabbit trail into automa- automation in general. So uh, the first point <clears throat> that, that they raised in the article, I mean, maybe not the first, but one of the statistics they brought up is that 40% of the folks surveyed believe that automation reduces human error. Um, and I, I think the article framed that as only 40%, which I kind of agree. Uh, so human error is exactly what automation is supposed to help eliminate. Uh, but as we were talking before the show... Uh, there's obviously two sides to that coin. Um, if you mess up your playbook, like, uh, who was that? Uh, oh, yeah, the, a little company called Amazon that runs a little company called S3. Who remembers that when they butchered a playbook and took down S3? <laughs> I remember a fairly quiet and pleasant afternoon. I don't know of anybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. Because we weren't depending on Amazon at the time. <laughs> Uh, so thought, hey, what we figured out real fast how many of our external vendors had an AWS dependency. Yeah, yeah, right. You so, and the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, like there were things you 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 wouldn't even expect of it. Like, wasn't Twitter down because of that? I can't remember now. There were a bunch of services that just like yeah. died. Slack, I think, was one of them. That Slack. one I expected because yep. Slack is a very uh, cloudy or cloud friendly service or whatever. Yeah. I'm just thinking now about like the kind of workloads I'm running where S3 is a part of it in one way or another, you know, ways you might not expect. Right. Well, so those, those outages were because people took the cloud as unflappable and well, it's S3, it'll never go down. Um, And in reality, their, their applications are not built to be, fault tolerant so yeah yes s s3 in that region went down but there's more than one region right so if you would have dealt with it in in a multi-region um with a multi-region mechanism in your application you might have been okay and there were there were definitely some apps that did that although Mm -hmm. nobody knows what they are because they didn't go down right (laughs) you didn't see those wasn't there another one that they that affected like uh it wasn't Amazon. There was another. There was a DNS provider that was down. It wasn't Route Fifty Three, was it? It was. Um, no, it wasn't. Um, what was it? Like, like some disgruntled gamer had DDoSed this DNS platform. Yeah, yes, yes. I, I don't remember, remember which now. one it was, but yeah, that that was um, that was a rough one because that hurt a lot of people too. That's the was, one. The same idea. That's the one I think where Twitter went down, and after that, Twitter had made a conscious effort to divide their DNS hosting up amongst more than one vendor or host, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, so yeah, 40% uh, believe automation reduces human error and Dyn, Dyn DNS. That's what it was. Dyn DNS. So, um, yeah, if you write your playbooks right, it absolutely cuts down on human error because if they're written well and they're vetted, not playbooks. 
True, true. Um, personally, I, I like my recipes to, to, to come out with cake or uh, steak maybe, um, a nice meal. Um, I, I use playbooks to <laughs> to automate my IT. <laughs> well, I suppose it depends on what we mean by automation. But if we're talking about you know, building and running tools as opposed to doing certain tasks manually, yeah, then... Yeah, obviously, you know, the the person who makes the makes the tools is fallible, but if you make a mistake, presumably you will then learn from that mistake and mistake and make the tool better. So in theory, over time, the scope for human error ought to be reduced. Yeah, so again, assuming that you've learned from your mistake and you haven't destroyed your company in the process. Well, yeah. sure. <clears throat> right. Um, and I, I mean, people make mistakes. That's all there is to it, right? And if you make a mistake in an automation script of any sort, whether it's a tool or a playbook or a puppet class or whatever, when that thing gets applied, it makes your mistake quickly everywhere. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And I read right. this. I'm gonna say, no, I was going to say, you have to, you have to keep in mind that automation scripts, uh, playbooks, whatever you want to call them, whatever tool you're using are applications and they'd have to be developed. So don't forget, faults happen in automation as well. So if your automation depends on something happening before it steps to the next part of the automation, and that thing doesn't happen and you don't catch it, right? that can chain react into, you know, who knows what. You could destroy massive amounts of data or knock things down all over the place. And, and your script is actually correct. It's because a service went down. Right, and there's also yeah, like, there you know, go ahead, Charles. You've been yeah, trying to say, there's, Oh, there was that nightmare story. I had to dig it up. Some company that was in um, finance, they had essentially a yes, not very night. resilient. Huh? Night. Hmm? It was night. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is very not. See, he already knows what I'm talking about. There's not very resilient um, continuous deployment process. And some old code i think i think there was one server that didn't get updated and they realized that and then they rolled back not realizing that that the rollback actually made things worse and millions of losses millions in penalties i don't know if it actually destroyed the company but just it's like one bad deployment and everybody's life changed yeah so this was this was night capital group um and this happened on August 1st, 2012. So mm -hmm. basically they, um, they updated, 2012. um, yep. 2012. Wow. So they, they updated, um, some automated system and a technician forgot to copy what's called an RLP, a retail liquidity program code onto one of the servers. There's eight of these servers. Um, and as a result, um, the trading activities went, uh, kind of went insane. Um, so new orders that apparently use this code triggered, a triggered, triggered something and it caused all sorts of insanity anyway. Well, yeah, there was, there was like, there was basically, it was kind of, a, it seemed like it was kind of akin to where maybe you had a function signature where you used to take a certain number of arguments, then you took fewer, but not everything got cleaned up. And now right. you take that many again, but they do something different. Right. But with so, the added complexity that when they saw the problem, I guess, and tried to roll back, all of yeah, a sudden so the, every the server here. Yeah. Doing the example the they have here is that the the shares of companies like went through the roof. So 
because of the error. So shares of Wizard Software Corporation went from three fifty a share to fourteen dollars and seventy six a share instantly. And because of, of course, like an, you know because of an error in the software. Right, yeah. right. And now that the shares are like through the roof, people are like, Oh my god, I'm rich, sell and you know oh, no. um, so <laughs> oh, this sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. Knight Capital took a pre tax loss of four hundred and forty million. Their stock price collapsed. Ooh. Um and <clears throat> they should have just inflated it with another error. Yeah. They uh uh let's see. They tried to raise money that week. Jeez. Four, uh, four days later, they managed to raise $400 million from a, uh, uh, half a dozen investors in an attempt to stay in business and failed miserably. And they ended up selling, they basically went, you know, and sold the company to Getco LLC. And, I, you know, I, that's as much information as there's, there is on this. Um, but yeah, one of my one of my former colleagues used to work there. Wow. Um, and I believe I believe the uh, the comment was uh, uh, something along the lines of "Oops, yeah, oops." <laughs> uh, oh. Could you but imagine it, it, being it, the person who kicked off that job or whatever that that error uh, it, and uh, it, like literally cost four hundred million dollars and destroyed your company? <laughs> but it was an innocent mistake. How yeah. often how often have you deployed things and forgotten a server? Right? Oh, yeah. like when you're dealing with lots of different servers, mm-hmm. sometimes it mm-hmm. gets forgotten, you know, or overlooked, or you think it mm-hmm. got deployed but didn't actually get deployed, right? So this is one of those, you know. But that's that's why automation tools are slowly but surely improving all of that by combining your inventory system with your automation tool, with your, you know, CI, CD, and like all kinds of stuff so that all yep. the tools know about each other. So all the tools can can sort of be automated together. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like yep. one of the, one of the nice things about what the work I'm doing now with building this stack on AWS is that, like, yeah, it's all of a piece. Like this, the you know the infrastructure is created by the CI/CD process. It's basically I can't have infrastructure that's it doesn't know about because it's creating it and tearing it down. Yeah. It's not to say I cannot make mistakes. I have made mistakes, but right, right. Those kinds of mistakes are a lot less likely. So the the real complexity comes when and now obviously you're dealing with uh, public cloud, but when you're dealing with private cloud, where you've got a person who's dealing with all of the physical infrastructure, you know there's another layer of uh, server tracking there, and that's where inventory management systems have to come into play, like we were like we were using satellite for, right? Because you're not you're not creating and destroying physical hardware the way you would a a cloud instance. I mean, mm-hmm. you can treat it similarly depending on how you have it managed, but not everybody's there. Right. And, and inventory management goes deeper when you get into like containerization. So, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you use uh, things like uh, EKS or AKS or, you know, any of the container management stuff in the cloud, whether or not it will automatically inventory your containers for you. Um, but that's, you know, you, you need a handle on what's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some front end or some way to query it at least. Of course, I mean, th- those are all, they're not all Kubernetes based, but e- EKS for example is in Kubernetes, you can ask it what's running. That's kind of like an inventory. It's not well, quite. Right. So, so you can, I mean, same with, same with, uh, just a straight 
Docker system yeah. or, or even Mesosphere yeah. or, you know, any of the other ones, like you can, you can always ask it, like, what is, what's running? Um, so there's, there's APIs to get at that. Um, but is that, is that what you need for an inventory system or like, that's assuming that the container names are what you're expecting, et cetera. So, yeah. um, you know, inventory comes into security as well knowing what's running and what should be running mm -hmm. and where did that container come from because that shouldn't be there. Yeah, right. Simply asking the system, what containers do you have running? Okay, that looks fine. Uh, if you don't have a inventory system that's comparing that, what's running to what should be running, then yeah, you could have like some rogue container that's been stood up that's eating all your lunch. Or if, say, you're doing CloudFormation with AWS, set up a regular process to check for drift. Oh, right, drift from the configuration, the yeah. less configuration. You know, you know CloudFormation, you've specified how everything is supposed to be configured and what resources are supposed to be floating around. Right. And if something is drifting, well, one of two things have happened. I I mean, could be a compromise, could just be some jerk developer doing a thing he shouldn't be doing instead of, you know, baking it into the configuration so that whatever change you made persists past the next deployment. Right. The latter is probably even more dangerous in some respects. <clears throat> So uh, speaking of cloud formation and all these things that we're talking about, um, about half believe that automation will make jobs more complex. This, I think, is pretty debatable, and that's probably why it's 50-50 here. Um, I think it's just a new technology to learn. Like, I had to learn how yeah. to install a Red Hat system and maintain the thing, right? Or I had to learn how to stand up Apache, or I had to learn how to configure DNS records or whatever, right? Um Having automation do that just means you have to learn how to tell the automation to do it. It's not necessarily more complex, do you think? Or am I missing something? Well, so it's it depends on who they asked, right? So yeah. if you take if you take a cadre of just normal sysadmin folks who've been around for a while and tell them, "Yep, you're going to have to learn this new automation tool and this is what it, you know, this is what it's based on and it's programming basically a programming language, etc." like that's complex. Sysadmins are not necessarily developers. From the other side, so, though, as well, um, you have to think in a different way when you're managing automation versus managing an individual system or an individual service, right? Because right. Um, things are a lot more, you have to write things in a more general way so that they can apply across the board without depending on, you know, this system has a terabyte drive in it, and this one's all NVMe, and that one is, you know, spoot from sand. And you don't really get to have a personal relationship um, with your systems anymore. You just have to stop thinking that way. Yeah. Like the simplest way I can encapsulate that is currently on prem with our VMs, they have names. Mm -hmm. Pets versus cattle. Yep, it's the old pets yeah. versus cattle ar argument, or not yeah. argument, but. Um, divide. Just, just in testing one particular stack, I've probably stood up and torn down over 200 EC2 instances. I don't know. I'm not counting. I don't care. doesn't matter. But were they named after uh, cartoon characters? They were not. That's a shame. You still could. I, I still could. It would just be a lot more but, sad when they died. <laughs> I'm going to create a dictionary with all the cool names, and I'm going to use those to name my cattle. Okay. That way they have names, and I still don't know what they are. It's funny because um, the whole pets versus cattle thing, you think farmers don't have any attachment to any of their livestock? My my wife's family, when she was young, were dairy farmers, and they named all their cows. Of course, they weren't killing the cows for food. I guess that's different. <laughs> yeah, true. No, I, I, I mean, I've also seen the pets versus cattle thing go like sideways. 
sort of like the some of the stuff that I've had to deal with with the naming conventions that they use because you know we, we don't know where things are and it's, they're spinning up all the time and then you know the naming convention you look at it and you're like okay cool I know where it is and I know what OS is running on it what does this box do yeah what, right. what is this thing like you've given me no information and that's where an inventory system comes in handy mm -hmm. where you go in mm -hmm. and you can look at it and say like oh okay here's here's the information and this is what it's supposed to be doing now I have a you know a map of where it is. Not that this place has that. So, you know, it's just a bunch of disparate boxes all over the place with uh, uh, various people throughout the company who know what that does, but nobody else does. I mean, you could also say that your infrastructure as code templates could instruct to you, you as to what these things are doing, even if you don't have the names, right? Or can't you tie, yeah. I don't know, I don't have an AWS infrastructure to speak of. So, like, could you could you say, like, this thing was generated from this template that template is well, used for generating web servers. Therefore, this thing must be a web server. Well, I mean, you know, template could be a full stack of resources like containers or EC2 instances, database, yeah. load balancer. Like it's all, you think of it as being, God help us, I'm vertically integrated. Like the whole stack is defined in one place. Yeah. So there, it's not so much that. It's like, well, what is this stack providing? Oh, this is providing the college library website? Okay, well, I can kind of guess at what's under the hood. But the more important thing is that this is this is that thing. This is the library. And, so, and depending on what template system you have, there may not actually be a link to between the two. So you may have a template that's like spin up, a, spin up web resources, and it'll do it, but there's no link back and forth between that template and that resource. So given that discussion, Charles, do you have any kind of an inventory management system in place that you're actually managing that inventory as you're spinning up and shutting down those 200 systems you talked about? Oh, well, to be clear, it's only over two systems at a time. They're just yeah, being yeah. Um, destroyed and replaced completed, uh, repeatedly. No. Um, what we do have is a list of... So we've gone the approach where you have multiple accounts... That is, we're a multi-account organization in various OUs. So what we do have is a sense of, you know, what kinds of workloads are on the public cloud infrastructure. But no, I couldn't give you an inventory of like every load balancer, all the presently running EC2 instances or anything like that. And it's something to think about, like what kind of information we'd want. Yeah. Now, again, it may not be a problem, if you, especially smaller scale, but... I can imagine when you have 300 instances running for this, that, or the other thing, and you don't have them tied back to any kind of inventory other than the list of instances you see in your EC2 dashboard, right? If there's nothing to tie them to purposes and to services, that could get confusing. Yeah, the thing I would be interested in tracking, again, it's where the automation comes in. It's basically patch management, but rerolled, which is, okay, I have this standard template that I'm using to deploy these various products and when's the last time it was redeployed what version is it running like you know maybe i have some better enhancements um, or just maybe it hasn't been redeployed in a while and every time it redeploys you know it gets the latest version of the ami with updated patches but at the moment i mean the moment it doesn't matter because almost nothing's running there but going forward i'm probably going to want a way to get that information and just see okay, you're at this level, you're at this level, you probably ought to be redeployed just on general principle. Not just that, but um, 
you know, what if a new vulnerability shows up and you just need to know mm-hmm. what systems do I have that are susceptible? Maybe it's a thing that you don't install everywhere. Maybe it's a thing you do install everywhere and you just don't know what patch level you're at. That's the sort of thing that you could just be like, well, screw it. I'll just redeploy everything because everything should get the patch then. Or you could redeploy just the things that are affected, right? Or, you know, you could just schedule automated redeployments. Yeah. That's a thing we can do. Just be like, okay, and every Saturday night, redeploy yourself. Yeah. It's it's funny. I'm, even though I don't work there anymore, I'm excited to see you guys get to a point where you can do that. Because that was a dream I always had when I was there. That we can have applications that were literally disposable. We could just trash the VM, rebuild it, and nobody would notice. <laughs> Honestly, we had it in one sense. Like, we were... We, we, you know, we were pretty close to having that. It was just that the build process wasn't automated enough. But we very rarely touched the config of those boxes. Yeah. And I've been able to build on that work going forward. We had a very good foundation. Yeah, the, the key there was that the build process took a little too long, and there was always a little bit of fiddling that had to happen at the end of each one of those. That we couldn't just go like, okay, we got new web presence. It was okay. That's going to be a week or two project minimum. <laughs> and, and blowing blowing away blowing it away and rebuilding it uh, on a on a schedule is actually um, sort of a security plus as well because if yeah. anybody's gotten yeah access to your box, um, mm-hmm. you know if you blow away and rebuild that box, that you just knock them off the system. Yeah, right. If they've got um, persistence yeah. in some way, it's not going to survive yeah. a complete rebuild unless they somehow got right. themselves into your template. Which then you're screwed. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, if you if they can, based on the cloud, if they can get yeah. into, <laughs> assuming that you're using something like CloudFormation, if they can get into your box and use that to somehow compromise your templates, I think you did something wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then next time they rebuild, they're going to be everywhere. <laughs> 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 going back to <laughs> the... Uh, um, the what forty percent statistic from earlier about forty percent believe automation reduces human error. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next statistics they had is fifty four percent think automation will never replace human intuition and hands on ex- experience. Now, this um, keep in mind this report is based on security, not necessarily based on just plain old systems administration, but it applies to both. Uh, in a security incident, it's really hard to automate because you're a human defending against a human. A, a program defending against a human may not necessarily work well because a program is a program, right? It doesn't have any creativity. It doesn't have any intuition. So I, I guess I can, I mean, I think that that number says 54% think automation will never. That number sounds low to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think it's realistic to think that automation could defend against a human attacker? Like, well? Just going to say the funny faces you're making don't translate well into the audio version of the podcast. (laughs) Podcasting is a visual medium. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) I think it depends on what the automation is, right? So... um, the one so the one thing that I've seen said for for automation when we're talking like Chef Puppet, Ansible, that sort of thing, is that it, it 
part of the autumn part of the reason that you have these things running is that it always goes in and, and resets to your baseline whatever whatever yeah. settings there are it's always switching them back and making sure they stay in place so if you have an attacker that comes in and you know changes something that happens to be managed by your automation system that's the key then it then it kicks it back um but any attacker worth a damn is going to know how to get around that so i don't know that if you're depending on automation as a security mechanism i think you're going to be sorely you know uh you're going to lose quickly it's it's not going to it's not going to be good i think that so tools like Puppet don't do this as well because Puppet is a pull um, architecture where the Puppet agent runs on a time schedule and pulls down config and does a thing. Things like Ansible are push. So I, I could imagine um, automation creating automation, which is like Inception, right? Um, an event comes in that says this thing is possibly compromised. It creates a playbook that then goes out and pushes to the affected host to undo whatever it is that the attacker has done or squash the attacker or whatever. And that can happen literally within seconds of when, you know, a threat is, is detected. Uh, the, I don't know if either of you have seen the work that's being done with Red Hat Insights, Red Hat Access Insights. It's basically like, um, there's a small report generated frequently from your machine and it's sent to Red Hat's cloud and those things are all those things are analyzed for it's mainly like um, there's a known config problem with Apache right and you have it and by the way here's an Ansible playbook that'll fix it for you uh, or you've got X number of known vulnerabilities on your system that there's patches for Here's an Ansible playbook that you can run against that system to, to update those, those systems. Now, obviously, Red Hat, I'm sure, is not the only one doing it. It's just the only one I'm aware of because of who I work for. <laughs> but uh, that sort of thing, if you think about that model, but applied to a um, like some sort of a uh, threat detection system, right, where instead of looking for patches or looking for configs that are out of place, it's looking for like known indicators of compromise and knows how to undo them by giving you an Ansible playbook and then automate the running of the Ansible playbook that says like, yeah, we're pretty positive. That's right. Go ahead and run it. Right. And then all of a sudden it kicks the attacker out as soon as the thing, as soon as the threat is detected. That's, that's kind of cool. Right. And there may be things that, that are doing this already and I just don't know about them, but. Right. And yes, automation helps with that, but there was still at some point, somebody was figuring out that, this is the behavior to look for. Yeah. And then, you know, again, coming up with all these good automated or scripted responses. So to that extent, it's helpful. But at some point, at some point, somebody somewhere is still figuring something out. There's yeah. maybe fewer people involved in the, directly in the execution. And I'll say that every compromise that I've ever had to deal with trying to clean up has always been this like really... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's out of the norm, unorthodox, right? It's it's always been like this crazy thing somebody cooked up to either hide themselves well or to to just just break a system that in in a way that it wasn't supposed to. That's exactly what security compromises are, and that's got to be a hard thing for 
you know, a threat detection system to notice, right? Because every time I've seen them, it's always been, huh, th- this system's under more load than it should be. I better go look into that. Or, you know, there's a weird thing in the logs. It just doesn't look normal, right? And that's it's always been a gut feeling. It's always been, this just doesn't feel right. I'm going to dig more, right? And that's hard to make a program out of. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. Yeah, it's a tough thing well, to codify. So, I mean, some things that help are things like uh, IDS, IPS, you know, yeah. host-based IDS right. stuff like Osiris will... Um, we'll sit there and, and monitor what's going on and, and deal with the repercussions of that. Um, you know, that's that's more of a tripwire. Uh, and and there's others. There's there's a whole ton of them that will monitor logs, monitor file systems, and sort of watch what's going on and alert you when those things happen and, and can react based on that. That's not, I mean, those are, I'm not sure I would consider those automations though. Those are, those are purpose-built programs for that specific task. Well, they could be. I think automation is something that's more flexible. That's that's sort of. I mean, it's it's built to do things over and over and over again. Um, Well, yeah, but look at look at like um, what's it? Osic, right? Osic is good at detecting a thing and detecting a thing and triggering some kind of an action. Right. Usually that action is just like I've blocked you in my firewall because you look like an asshole. (laughs) Right. Well, you can write those triggers to do or those actions to do literally whatever you want. I mean, if you can make a script that would generate an Ansible playbook and kick it out to something. Right. That's automation. Yeah, Fair enough. That's not that's not just a program doing a thing. That's I mean, a program doing a thing really is automation. But. Right. I mean, I think the key is that there's just going to be a whole range of actions that are being taken where you're not you're not involved with actually doing the thing like you're right. not intervening you may not even know you know maybe you get a summary report hey i did a thing yeah maybe that report just lies in an inbox because it doesn't matter because it took care of it yeah you shouldn't ignore those I, reports by the way you should definitely well, go auto- follow up. Well, my- <laughs> you should not ignore those reports <laughs> i automated my inbox to look for the important reports and text me about them. oh okay okay and i no, automated it's... my phone to let twitter know that i automated my phone to notify me in slack when <laughs> you know that's a good point i have probably something so we moved we moved our our my college moved to g suite uh last year mm-hmm and I'm familiar. I have, yes, and I have something like fifty rules set up on my inbox, just tagging, categorizing mail, just trying to ensure that I am only being shown the stuff that is that absolutely requires my attention. I'm not missing things, but you know, there's a very high degree of is it is that automation? I don't know, but like managing your inbox so that you don't miss the relevant stuff yeah. is huge. I get thousands of emails a day. Most of them I will never read and don't need to read, but some of them I do. Yep. I, I still remember the pie charts where I'm looking at mail reports when we still ran on-prem mail at that college. <laughs> I was literally one quarter of the pie chart, so you don't have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the last statistic that I pulled out of this article was 74% say that automation is not capable of certain tasks tasks done by IT security staff. This is kind of what we were just talking about, I would think. I don't know if we can elaborate so, more on that. So to elaborate on this one a little bit, is AI or ML considered automation? I would say so. 
No. Okay. Then then I would I would argue that some of that, you know, um, yeah, that there probably are certain tasks. Even even in an AI driven world, there are tasks that just there's human intuition that just hasn't been able to be matched by any sort of um, construct as of yet. So so there's always there's always the need to have a human look over something, you know, when when there's when there's possible doubt. Um, but that said, even those tasks that can't be fully automated can normally be partially automated using a variety of techniques from, from just straight up brute force to. Oh no. Oh. Now we'll never know the end of this sentence. <laughs> straight up brute force oh. to chickens. <laughs> Well, but, you know, to, to finish what I assume Jason's thought was, yeah. um, I mean, yes, there's there are whole categories. This has always been true that there are whole categories, there are categories of tasks which gradually get to the point where we've squeezed all the genius out of them. It's all scripted and repetitive and we automate it and we move on. Right. And there are times when, yes, that's going to eliminate somebody's position just because you know, all the things that person was doing, we were able to, somebody made a thing to replace it. We still need the person who made the thing, but we don't need the person they replaced. So unfortunately, I mean, you either go to you get a job where that's not the case or you have to change. Yeah, I mean, I'm, not do, I'm not doing the work I was doing eight years ago and eight years from now, I will not be doing what I'm doing today. I've, I've always felt like, um, <laughs> Automation, at least in an operations role, maybe in a in a development role, I don't know. Uh, the more you automate, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily replace people. It just frees those people up to do the next good thing. Yeah. Right. Like the more I automated when I was at the college, it just meant that all the stuff that I wasn't able to do before because I didn't have time, I was finally getting to. Right. And there was still a pile of stuff beyond that that I didn't get to because. You know, mm -hmm. there was just that much work to do. So, yeah. you know. I mean, it's true for developers in the sense that there are any number of things that there are any number of kind of ancillary tasks that we wind up having to do that are not like core development tasks. Um, and to the extent that we can automate those and make them go away, we can focus on doing things like, you know, actually building a new product or designing something, something that requires something that really can't be automated. Not yet anyway. Right. Sure, somebody's automated wireframing a new website, but uh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, there, that definitely takes like more of an artistic eye, though, doesn't it? It's not sure you can just spit out a website design, but yeah, from a template is, or know, whatever. Right, but it, say if you're designing a website, then that design should probably be aligned to your communications or brand strategy. And yeah, yeah, you're a human still needs to do that. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, a human still has to sell that design to other human stakeholders. Right. <laughs> so there's still, there's still, there's still a role there. Automate away the sales pitch. Kind of work. This whole conversation brings me just, just the, the recent comments about, you know, how uh, you automate a thing and then you move on and forget about it. It makes me just sort of think about um, when you're doing a task and you do that task, say, over and over again, uh, as you're doing it, you may find 
improvements in doing it, right? So like, if I have to build rail systems three times a day, then chances are I'm going to build them roughly the same way over and over and over again. <clears throat> I could make mistakes. I could make minute changes, package selections or whatever. Um, but if I, oh, look, Jason's back. Hang on. Let's add him back in. Oh, man. Hey, you're back. Do you don't, have close, don't close that window. I didn't close a window. I was in the middle of talking and yeah, the internet went away. That looked like your internet connection died. So um, I'll, I'll I'll restart the, the the statement that I was just trying to make so that Jason can can get the full effect. Um, so uh, Charles and I were just talking about, hopefully trying to pick up from where you were talking about uh, how um, automate you, you'll automate a task and then you'll move move along onto something bigger and better, right? Yep. Um, I was I'm I'm just trying to needle at like, if you are doing a task and you're doing it by hand, right? Uh, okay. And you do it and you do it frequently. Uh, you're going to do it roughly the same each time, right? But uh, you may like after doing it twenty times or a hundred times or whatever, you may find a slight improvement to the way you're doing it, right? Maybe that improvement is just to make the process faster, but maybe that improvement actually affects the service in some way. Like, boy, I've built those two hundred rel systems. Um, Maybe I should have set up the firewall this other way, or maybe I should have not included that package or whatever. Right. Uh, if you've handed that off to automation, right, and you don't think about it anymore, then it's just going to keep making that thing that might have been a mistake over and over and over again. And maybe it was a little tiny mistake. Maybe it was just like I included a package I didn't want, or I didn't lock the firewall down as much as I wanted to in my system build, or you know, whatever. Insert whatever automation you want to talk about, or whatever task you want to talk about. Maybe I didn't set the cache right on my Apache system, right? Um, or it's it's like functional, but now I've forgotten about it, and it's in my automation, I don't care anymore, right? Um, I wonder how much of that we, we miss out on, because doing a thing, you it's right in front of you, right? And you start thinking about it, like, you know, maybe that wasn't the right way to do it. I'm going to do it this other way from now on, right? I don't know. Yeah, just me thinking. I, I, yeah. Um, there's also the you know you get numb to that and not you don't you don't mm -hmm. you know after doing 200 of them you're not thinking about doing that thing anymore you just want to like you know slam your head on the table. Yeah. Um, so for me for automation there's uh, you know when I'm automating something and I build it and I have it running I I go back and I, I tinker on occasion you know can I make this faster can I do this better can I do what you know what can I change here to make this better. Um, so it becomes it becomes somewhat like development where, you know, you can always improve upon it. Um, and in a lot of cases, even especially with development, optimization is left for after, you know, it, what, how does it go? Make it make it work, make it right, make it fast, something like that. I forget what the, the first two are. You know, it's make it work, make it something and then make it fast. Um, but the the idea of, of dealing with it as a development task at that point and being able to go back and optimize it later is, you know, concentrate on getting it right the first time. Make it work. Make sure that it's doing the right thing. And then you can go back later and optimize it. And you may find that in a lot of in a lot of cases when you automate it away. So what if it's taken 20 steps like you're not doing it? Who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, so you don't bother with it. Um, and there's other instances where, you know, you, you, you optimize it because you need it to go faster. 
um, you need it to be done quicker, or you're making changes to it because you need this new this new bit to work on in your automation, and you realize, well, you know, now I've got this big long loop and you know all this other stuff going on. What if I you know compress it down this way and change it slightly? Oh look, I made it more modular. Um, so there's always room for improvement, and and not having to sit and stare and and like bang your head over the same thing, you know, 200, 300 times. Um, I don't know. I, I to me it, it seems easier. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if like if it might be a good practice to periodically go back and review the things you've automated, like just rethink them. And then maybe you rethink them and come to the exact same conclusion you did a year ago when you looked at it last and you move on with your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all the points I had from the article. I think we've talked about automation quite a bit. I, I, I'm curious if we were to go back to a... Uh, an older episode where we talked about automation. How many of these things we said last time? Last <laughs> time. Uh, yes. So, as a listener, um, go back and listen to our old automation episode. Yeah. Compare it to this one, let us know what we got right and what we got wrong. Go do that. Go do that. See if we proved ourselves wrong or something. I don't even know when the last time we talked about automation is. Probably a year and a half or two years ago. Anyway, I think we're going to call the main topic a close unless anybody has any final thoughts on automation or security automation since that's really what the topic was technically. No? Good. Then we're going to move along. Move along. Nothing to see here. Who remembers from the last show what color the transition button is on my soundboard? Charles, you're exempt because you weren't here. I don't know. Was it green or blue or <laughs> does it matter? Well, I mean, we... you just said a color. I haven't actually seen this thing. I mean, I suppose I could show it to you, but it's all plugged into stuff and that might be hard. <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't matter what color I could say. You could just say a different one. Aren't you colorblind? Me? No. Yeah, I thought no, your depth, depth perception, that's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I swear you're flat for some reason. Yeah. That's probably better off that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So announcements. I don't know if oh you did add an announcement. All right. So uh, I'm gonna talk about our Patreon update. We got like four new patrons since the last show, which is awesome, folks. I love it. Thank you. Are we rolling in money yet? Can I retire? I mean, not quite. They're all like $1 and $2 patrons, but still, we appreciate them, and that's awesome. I mean, it's much better. Oh, I remember yeah. early on in the show, we were like, hey, guys, we have no patrons. Can you just, like send us some money? It would be really awesome if you'd send us money because we're doing this thing, and it's kind of costing money. And <laughs> Now we actually support the show based on Patreon. You know, we're not making a bunch of money, but we're making enough to support the show, and that's really... I mean, that's enough. You know, I'd obviously... Love it if we made more, but hey, whatever. I'm, I'm not exactly going to retire and be a podcaster. Anyway, uh, we got 12, I think, patrons here now. At least that's what Patreon told me. And since there's only 12 of them, I'm going to continue to read their names off until we have so many that I can't read them. <laughs> so we've got good old 22532, which was our first patron to memory, or 
based on my memory anyway. And he's still there. So thank you, dude, man. You are like, I don't even know your name, but you've been giving us money since early on in the podcast and it's very appreciated. Um, Andy Charles, who, hi, Charles. Thank you for being a patron. <laughs> uh, I'm a co host. <laughs> what's that? Sorry. I was talking over you when you said it. Um, right. Uh, Dementor, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, Gimpy B, he's one of our new ones. Kind of a funny name, but whatever. Thank you for being a patron. Jay, who is also a current host on the show. Thank you for being a patron. <laughs> uh, Jason B is a new patron. John, who is, if I if it's the right John, I'm pretty sure he is one of the hosts of Admin Admin. Thank you for being a podcast or being a Patreon patron. Words are hard, folks. Uh, Julius, Mark with a C, Mark with a K, who is also a new patron, and Ryan, who's also a new patron. So thank you, folks, for being patrons. I think we're up to like 60 bucks. I don't have Patreon in front of me anymore. We're up to like 60 bucks a month, which is great, because that uh, that covers Libsyn. It covers uh, website hosting, and plus a little tiny bit extra, which is great to just sort of keep there for any expenses we might have. You know, like the extra $3 a month. <laughs> so that's Patreon. Um, you got a thing in here about your Whopper Summit. Not your Whopper Summit, but Whopper Summit. You want to elaborate? Yes. yes, Whopper Summit. So there's a lot of uh, different security development, you know, et cetera, conventions. Um, Whopper Summit's a little unique. It's a it's more of a hardware convention. Um, so uh, it's it's still somewhat security focused, although there's a lot of developers, system mins, et cetera, that go. Uh, and this year it is March 27th through the 29th, and it is happening at the uh, Holiday Inn Express in Fort Washington. Uh uh, which is right outside of Philly or right in Philly or somewhere near there's a there's Philly and then there's Fort Washington. It's like somewhere there. Guys, you guys have Google Maps, you can figure it out. Yeah. Um so uh that's coming up soon. It's next month. Uh it's a lot of fun. Uh so if you have a chance, come out. Cool. Speaking of conferences named after summits, uh, Red Hat Summit's coming up. I don't think I have the dates in front of me. End of April, I think it is. April 27th to 29th, off the top of my head. I may be there. I don't know for sure. Maybe there to help out with the Red Hat Accelerators. I don't know. If that becomes a concrete thing, I will certainly mention it on the show. In case anybody's going to Summit and wants to say hi, I'd be happy to say hi. Yep. Beers are on, uh, beers are on Nate. Beers are, yeah, sure. <laughs> Come on, you're making that that sweet, sweet Red Hat money now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That totally means I can just be frivolous with all my cash. No, I'm going to use all that Patreon money. (laughs) All right. So uh, after Mark with a K became a patron, um, of course, I sent him a thank you, as I do all of our patrons when they become patrons. And uh, he responded with something that sounded a lot like a review. So I thought I would include it in our reviews. And uh, thank him again for being a patron. So uh, Mark says, Love you guys. I've only been listening for a few months and have been catching up on some of your older episodes. Uh, While we're so different in many ways, I've noticed some similarities in our education and career background and love the way you guys bring bring a level-headed view to the news and the net sysadmin stuff. 
The guests, uh, yeah, the guests for the fa- past few episodes have been fantastic too. In particular, BHIS and the back with the back doors and breaches, and KringleCon have given me enough to fill up my spare time uh, learning new techniques and software. Even though back doors and breaches is not techniques or software, but cool, a fun game. Uh, keep doing what you do. So um, good stuff. Thank you for the review or comment anyway. Uh, one of the one of the other patrons uh, who I thanked uh, basically responded with a very short thank you for running an operations style uh, podcast, which I guess he was having trouble finding, which is exactly why we do the show. So I'm glad that that's beneficial. So that's it for reviews. Um, I guess the review service that you were using, Jason, went to a uh, for pay platform. So now we don't have it anymore. Yeah, well, uh, at some point in the in the near future, I guess, um, you have to pay for. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. It, it never <laughs> really, it never really materialized into anything useful anyway. So. Oh yeah, um, right. Well, I, I mean, it did its thing where it monitored, but it it didn't help us much because we weren't getting a lot of comments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it probably would have. The automation would have worked perfectly if there were comments, people. Come I know, on. We need more. We need to know what you guys like. So. Or or not like. Yeah. I mean, we're good at that, too. You guys have any fun projects going on before we get on to the news? Yeah. Anything fun to chat about? I'm building an arcade cabinet. Awesome. What are you going to put in it? It's going to be like yes. a retro pie or something cooler. Right there. Is that a retro pie? Yeah, uh, it's I a can't... Raspberry Pi 4. Yeah. And a... Um, Does that have one of those hi-fi audio outputs? Is that why it's got the yeah, audio? Yeah, it's, it's a DAC Plus that's in it. Yeah. In uh, this really cool steel case. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to put it run... inside of an arcade comp cabinet. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to run RetroPie on it. So RetroPie doesn't have a Raspberry Pi 4 build yet. Um, or they haven't released a... a I, the story about Re- Raspberry Pi 4 and RetroPie is is muddy at the moment. Uh, but oh, there's two okay. other ones um, that I was looking at. Uh, one called Laka, um, which is also some sort of uh, open source game console I've never heard of. Um, and the other one's called Recall Box or Recal Box. Okay. Um, both look pretty cool. So I was going to give those a shot and see what they do. Um, and, you know, the the, the the whole, I just I want to I want to arcade. Since we since we went to DerbyCon, uh, what two years ago, and they had the arcade cabinets there, I've kind of been itching to yeah. Build the last the last two years they've had them. So I'll I'll only say one thing, and I know um, you can chat with um, Jumpship at the uh, at the meetings. Yep. Um, the thing with RetroPie is that there's a tiny bit of emulation lag in the controls. And, like, true hardcore retro gamers will notice it, and they'll complain about it. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't care, that's probably fine. (laughs) So Now you're going to be like, I have this thing that'll take care of that. I don't know. This is, this is, this all came from Jump, so. Oh, good. Um, Okay. There's these crazy, these things are nuts. So, there's these little USB breakouts. Okay. Um. And it's it's like a million connectors for uh-huh. uh, 
all of the buttons and the hardware buttons, and the, the yeah, the the start buttons and the mm-hmm. player one and the you know all that. Um, so it's all it's all going to be over USB two. Um, and he didn't mention anything at all about lag in any of this. So okay, uh, you know, but but like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try those other two as well um, and see what happens. I've got the cabinet supposed to be here Saturday. I gotta. I have to build. I was gonna. I was gonna go all crazy and hardcore and get custom graphics and everything else until um, I found out that the custom graphics were gonna cost more than the cabinet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I think it was Jump. He, he was like, you know, I, I sort of sent him what I was looking at, what I was looking at doing. He's like, why don't you just like sticker it? I was like, oh. You could also like. Um... I didn't think of doing that. You could you could paint the whole cabinet in a flat color of some sort, something that's got a decent smooth finish on it. Yeah. And then you could even go to a decal company and have logos or something printed out and st- and stuck on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I'm what I what I've got is I've got uh, uh, a couple cans of Hammer Black coming, which is like a this really mm-hmm. weird flat black paint. I don't B- know. It's MDF, so you have to use like. Um, oil-based paint or it just sucks into it like there's no tomorrow okay um so i'm gonna i'm gonna spray paint the whole thing black and then uh um literally i've got piles of stickers security and all sorts of stickers that i gathered over the years the the hammered paint uh test it on something before you put it on the cabinet just because i've used hammered finished paints on steel projects and they have like a texture to them and stickers don't stick yeah. to them quite as well. So just yeah. test it before you put it on the yeah, cabinet I because I I, I'd hate to see you do that and then it's like, the stickers won't stay. <laughs> I, with enough glue, anything will stick. With enough glue, anything will stick. And you could also, like, I don't know, wrap it in some kind of... Oh, you could, like, uh, lay all the stickers down and then cover it in... Um, what is that stuff? It's like that thick resin... Yeah, could do so that, that too. you can have the whole yep. thing a nice smooth finish and have the stickers yep. beneath it. That'd be awesome. Then yep. it wouldn't matter what you have underneath it because the resin would stick. Yeah, yeah. So that's the plan. Um, I've got I've got a um, an amplifier for the speakers, and you know I've got the whole. I bought all the parts. That's pretty cool. Um, and and be honest, like uh, when I first started looking at it, I, I went to the same company that um, that had done the cabinets that they had at DerbyCon, mm-hmm. and I was looking, and I'm you know kind of figuring it out and i'm like this is this is a lot more expensive than i thought it was going to be um by a lot um uh like yeah, four but, figures expensive but those things and are they're sweet like they, they do a great job on those cabinets they do um and there's a price associated they also with they also listed all the parts that are in them and the parts that they're using yeah and this cabinet is twice the size mm-hmm. um so that that's a 19 i'm close to no, maybe a size and a half. I don't know. That's a 19-inch monitor that they have in those. Mm-hmm. I'm putting a 32-inch monitor in mine. Nice. That's what I have. Or 32? It's a big monitor. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty big. That's um, like the size of the TV I have on the wall above my my desk. Here. Yeah, so uh, maybe it's smaller. Anyway, I think it's 32 inches wide or something. Um, and then uh, with all the parts and everything... Uh, it's actually coming out to be less than half the cost of the other one. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't put, I didn't get graphics, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's, I don't know. I'm excited to get it up and running and, and be able to sit and play Pac-Man. 
that's cool. That'll be fun. I have to say that the the uh, the retro pies that I've built and plugged into TVs and whatever, they're fun for like a novelty thing, but they never last long, right? I mean, I, I enjoy the games, but I don't. I don't know. I don't just like sit down and play games a lot like I used to because I just don't have the time. So um, it might be neat to have a cabinet where you can just stick it in a corner somewhere, and then whenever you want to play a game, just hop on there. Like um, yeah. the the retro gaming cabinet that's in the office there um, in the Alpha Building, Charles. I used to. Mm. I, I'm not going to say frequently, but when I needed a break, I would certainly go over there and play a game of Dig Dug or something, and that was it. Was nice. It was nice to be able to just like walk away, stand at an old school cabinet you know, arcade game cabinet and play what felt very much like a classic arcade game. Um, I don't know that those were emulated. Emulated. They're, it's not a Raspberry Pi inside of that thing. I looked I inside of there. I don't know what it is. Sorry, what's that, Charles? I talked yes, about I forget. I, no, I forget what's inside. It's not a Pi. Um, I had Pete open it up for me because he had a key for it. Of course, he's got a key for everything in that freaking, ha- that freaking school. Um, and he showed me the inside, and it's still like this crazy circuit board inside. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> yeah, I have I have um, uh, stumbled. Uh, the internet, I connected to the internet one day, and this 14 gig file just fell onto my computer of, of emulated stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, same, I, same I, thing I, happened I to me plenty, at some point. Yeah. I have plenty to, uh, to, to play. <laughs> um, plus, I think, um, archive.org uh has their their huge emulator oh, system yeah. now mm-hmm. Forgot oh, about yeah. that. um which is which is quite awesome uh if you haven't seen it definitely check it out um but the uh i think you can download quite a lot of what they have emulated so uh you know there's there's plenty out there to get that's cool so now that we're, we've talked about retro games for about half an hour Charles, you have anything, anything fun going on? Any 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 work on your model train display? <laughs> it hit a bit of a pause because I was working through some issues and I'm moving again. I'm starting to think about combining some of my interests and doing applying digital command and control to the thing I'm working on. Digital command it, and control. Yeah, so like your traditional model layout. Um, this uses um, direct current, so you know you plug in, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you wire up the tracks, and if you want to run multiple trains, you wire up different electrical blocks, and then you uh, isolate them. You know, you wire, you isolate them with plastic separators and wire each separately. So, like I did this on a smaller on a small layout I built, and I had eight different blocks, and I had panels just for. Know, switching like which and then two transformers w- wired up one for each train i was going to run and then i could just switch which transformer was feeding a particular track and that was a way you can run two trains at once that works it's it's robust it's fine so the idea of dcc is you don't do that you just you power the tracks but then there's a decoder on the locomotive and then you can do Basically, you can control the locomotive and tell it you're accelerating, you're not accelerating. You have multiple locomotives on the same tracks. You don't have to do the same electrical isolation because you're basically telling them how fast they're supposed to be going. Right. This requires, you know, different, you know, you need different stuff. You need, um, you know, a, a throttle and other bits and pieces. And you can put a Raspberry Pi into the mix if you want so that you can, like, drive trains through your phone. 
And this isn't, cool. these aren't just like basic DC transformers. I assume they're actually sending some kind of a signal or frequency that the locomotives have to understand. Yes. And so you need, a, sorry. A, yeah. So there's a decoder on the locomotive yeah. and the throttles. What's actually I guess, sending the, basically sending the signal through the rails. Now, do you have to buy a special locomotive or do you modify ones you have? So newer locomotives often in general are considered DCC ready. And then some of them are DCC equipped, which means, so if they're DCC ready, there's a easy place to install the encoder or the decoder. DCC equipped, the decoder is there for you. Older locomotives, I gather, can be retrofit. You know, if, you know, you open it up, and if you're yeah. handy with a soldering iron and whatnot, which I'm not, um, you can modify. You can modify your locomotives. You're in luck. I know new- a whole group of people that meets monthly in Easton that are handy with soldering irons. <laughs> yeah. So this is, you know, so this is just this is all kind of a brave new world for me, and I'm starting to experiment. It's kind of cool. Kind of mm-hmm. cool. I haven't set up a model train display. Well, I set one up not too long ago just because I still have them from when I was a kid, but I haven't done it in earnest since I was a kid. I, I might have been a teenager when we stopped setting ours up. So they're all obviously older. You know, I've got locomotives that are probably 30 years old, 40 years old. <clears throat> but they're pretty cool. You know, just standard DC. And they're fun. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any room to set them up at this point. Someday when I buy a mansion, I'll uh, I'll have a room for trains. <laughs> So I don't know what we think. Do I have any cool projects going on? I don't think I do. I just had uh, 64 pounds of plate steel uh, delivered to my house today. The UPS driver was not happy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not building an armored car or anything. Um, Just a project for the Jeep. I'm fabricating a bumper for the front of the Jeep. So not an armored car, an armored Jeep? Well, an armored bumper for the Jeep, kind of. I don't know. I wouldn't call it armored. It's only three sixteenths inch thick. <laughs> I don't know what armored vehicles are, but I'd imagine it's thicker. <laughs> Did you see? Remember that um, the guy who made the build the bulldozer, the killdozer, mm-hmm. and like plowed over at, at his town because um, of like zoning problems or whatever. The, the the township had had like done some kind of a weird zoning thing where they ruined his business and they wouldn't work with him and like all kinds of crap and he just got sick of it and he 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 built the killdozer and he ran over city hall and a bunch of other businesses. Mhm. Oh, it's all in Colorado somewhere. This isn't ringing no, a bell I, for I you? Have, <laughs> no, but I'm 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 now googling it. Do a Google search for killdozer, you'll probably find it. <laughs> not to be confused with the not yeah, especially good mid-60s movie. <laughs> Which is about something else altogether. Of course, you have uh, a cheesy movie reference. Uh, I heard they're making a movie about this guy, which is the the talk of plate steel reminded me <laughs> and bulletproof. So they, so they. Oh, I swear, okay. I swear, I told so, you about this like a long time uh, ago when you and I still worked together. Marvin John Hemeyer. This, this happened in June of two thousand four. Yeah. Uh, like all the feuding. all the video of it is still like four by three cheesy, yeah. uh, not cheesy, He's, but you know, he, he was feuding with uh, the the officials in Colorado, um, and he demolished demolished the he town demolished hall, demolished like the house, whole freaking town, several other buildings, angry. and then <laughs> committed suicide. Yeah, well, After that's his- not only did he, he committed suicide, uh, like 
out of necessity, right? He he built this crazy steel and cement apparatus and hoisted it up above a bulldozer. And then he got into the bulldozer and dropped it on top to the point where he couldn't even see outside. He had cameras on the outside of the, the bulldozer so he could see and then monitors inside, right? And that's the way he steered the thing. So when he was done, he literally could not get out. So his plan the whole time was to wreak havoc and die. That is, and he succeeded. No one was able to stop him. I think what finally happened. What was it like? Some he, um, he got stuck. He he bulldozed the uh, hardware store and got stuck in the basement. I thought there was another um, another piece of construction equipment came in and like ran into him or something. I thought I remember no, he reading. Got stuck. Okay, so he just gave up. Because he gets stuck in the hardware store. But yeah, these were, like, he chose the buildings that he demolished based on people who had, like, <laughs> contributed to ruining his life. The police tried to blow off the steel plates with explosives three times yeah. before they gave up. Yeah. They had to they had to cut through an oxyacetylene, use, a, use an oxyacetylene cutting torch <laughs> to get through the, jeez. <laughs> All right, now I need video. Somebody somebody made a t-shirt. It had the killdozer on the front, and it said something like, when reasonable people are forced to do unreasonable things. <laughs> this is nuts. It is! It's insane! <laughs> anyway, there's apparently a movie. I heard I heard they're making a movie about it, which I hope, I hope happens, because I want to watch it. <laughs> How come I didn't see this on on the news? You probably Wait, did. did. I, have... I remember telling no, you about I probably, this. I probably didn't because I think at that point I no longer had cable TV. Oh, okay. I remember finding out about this story sometime like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I remember telling you about it because you and I were commuting at the time. And I told you all about it then. And you've apparently yeah, blocked it out. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> blocked a lot of things out. Yeah, right. So, anyway, uh, let's see. Zeno is building retro. I'm updating the show notes here. All right, you can do that, I guess. All right, so push the button and we can do the next thing. Yeah, I guess we could do that, but I'm busy typing right now. So, I guess uh, we can do that. It's, it's purple, by the way. Purple, push it. And I finished typing almost in time. Okay, so on to the news. I can close this thing from yeah, about the automation now. All right. Um, did you hear about the Iowa caucuses? Did I pronounce it right? Uh, caucuses. Oh, yeah. Caucuses. Yeah. Do I have to like... Caucuses? <laughs> from, from New York? From New York. I was going more for like Bostonian. Caucuses. No, that's, I right. guess that's more. I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at accents. <laughs> Anyway, yes. apparently, yes, I heard about this. apparently, and I, I swore we talked about this on the show, but uh, you guys assure me that we didn't. Uh, months ago, I heard this news article on like my morning news or something. We're talking about how, oh, there's this new app that they're going to use in Iowa when they do the caucuses, and uh, it's going to help track the votes or whatever, which 
I'm not sure if I fully understand how vo how votes in the caucus work, but it has something to do with a large room and people standing in corners. Yes. That's what the article said anyway, <laughs> or the yeah. news broadcast the more, the said. More, since, since the debacle that it was the Iowa caucuses and the more I've learned about the caucuses in general, the more insane it gets. It sounds crazy. It sounds it so is, crazy. It's nuts. It so crazy. I don't know. I don't know how this app was supposed to help, but basically they had a private, I guess a private app developer make an Shadow app. Incorporated. Uh, make an app. Shadow Incorporated is what they're called. That's an awesome yeah, name. That's an yeah. awesome name for a completely above board application developer. Um, uh, they developed this app. They wouldn't let anybody see it. They wouldn't let anyone uh, vet it for security or anything because that, of course, would have been a security risk. You can't let anybody see the source code because... Did you, you know, did you vet that was the same company? What? Did, is that the same company that, that, that we thought it was? The one that wouldn't let anybody see the source code? No, I don't know. I'm not sure if it was. I don't know. I'm what sure I'm what I'm saying is months ago I heard this, and, and I went to Twitter and I said, this sounds like an awesome idea. And I didn't get any real response on it. And I thought we talked about it on the show, but I guess we didn't. Um, and now here we are uh, a week after the Iowa caucuses. Caucuses. And um, guess what? It was a freaking shit show. <laughs> So bad things happened, I guess, uh, somehow related to this app. Um, and, like, there were crashes in the app, and there were freezes in the app, and the, the help desk that they were given to call for help on this app were, like, non-responsive or just flooded. And then uh, somebody mentioned 4chan. <laughs> uh, 4chan published the phone number, the backup <laughs> phone number that you could use to call in the results, because that was what the app is supposed to do, is to streamline the reporting of results. Um, so people oh. who were trying to, the people who were chosen to the alternative method of communication was effectively DDoS. Um, yeah, I mean, so, it, so because be somebody, clear, some people just want to see the world burn. Yeah. And, and, and doing that because you're in, you're now interfering with an election. Yeah. Right. Arguably that, that is arguably illegal. Well, yeah, I would call that illegal. So the the app was the app was developed by a company called Shadow Inc. Um, and based on it's not in this article, um, but based on some of the intelligence that I got through the the community, um, it appears that the app was built by a bunch of interns. Oh, <laughs> this, is, this gets better um, uh, on a very tight timeline for a ridiculously small amount of money. Welcome um, to IT, folks. So, so the number I heard through thrown around was like sixty grand, which is yeah, it was not either sixty lot. or eighty. That yeah, is a ridiculously a small amount of money, right? And I think it was it was it was either two or three months worth of work, um, and I I believe there were somewhere between three and five developers on it. Um, that now, is not a lot of money for three to five right. months worth of work for five people. Two to, three. two to three months of work. Yeah. Two to three yeah. months. Sorry, I'm thinking, numbers. Um, numbers are hard. Yeah, numbers are hard. <laughs> so, so already you've now, and then on top of it, they take this this work. Now, look, not all interns do bad work. Not all, no. you know, but they're they're inexperienced. You, you know, that's you sort could of the whole say intern thing. you could say that this kind of an app might be important, and it maybe is, you give it to experienced developers. I'm not well, saying interns can't be or, trusted with such things. <laughs> or, or you 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 state what it is. This is the first time we're doing this. This is yeah. a beta. 
it is not a you know super high developed app it was it was built on a shoestring budget um and you don't hype the hell out of it like they did so uh come the day of the caucuses apparently um some of the confusion and trouble was that the there was there was no initial training on it mm-hmm. so nobody nobody had any training on how the app worked um, a number of people that were responsible for putting the information into the app and using it to upload the results hadn't installed the app. Oh. And getting the app installed was apparently a well, nightmare. That's not the app's fault. So well, it points to a lack of, you know, a lack of proper, like, if you're rolling out something new, you need to, you know, you figure out who your core users are. They need to be trained. Yeah. Which means they've installed the app, hopefully. Right. Um, and you've also hopefully done concurrent load testing. You know, hey, if there's however many precincts, there, however many people are expected to use the app to report um, results, uh, hey, can you know, your backend server, can it take that many concurrent connections? Okay, cool. Can it take five times as many? Yeah, right. Yeah, no? Right. Good testing. So you know, that's- from, from everything that I've heard, load wasn't an issue. They just mm. it, they had so many problems getting the app to work to begin with. They never mm. got to the point where <laughs> scale was a problem. When the app uh, barely works, you can't get to scale problems. <laughs> right. That just points again to the compressed timeline and lack of a QA cycle. Yeah. These are things that could have been fixed, but yeah. it sounds like they were just up against it. So I, I, the, the thing I'm not clear on is uh, based on the very little bit that I know about how a caucus works and how these votes are cast, what was the app supposed to do? It's well, so simply the, to report the results to be tallied. So it's like it. it's like I have a number and I need to enter the number. Yeah. Well, the, and I and guess it, the results are a little complex simply because I mean the way the caucus works is everybody like organizes. And it's public voting. Everybody organizes yeah. into their groups, and then you figure out like basically the smallest, like the the in each pre precinct the groups of the candidate with the smallest numbers of supporters like below some certain threshold those votes had to be redistributed i mean that's a well-recognized principle i mean single transferable votes used in a lot of places okay well i'm not saying that that, that's uh, a bad mechanism i just i never knew how a caucus vote worked and when i heard that it had to do with like groups of people standing in parts of the room i'm like what (laughs) it sounds so crazy well, I guess the reason you do that is that it's the part that's unusual. It's the part where it's public, as opposed to just you go in, you have your ballot, and yeah. you just rank, take off your preferences, and then you go home. Right. Um, this is more of a public thing. Okay. But yeah, I think it's meant to report the results so that the you know you know you can get the results to, out to candidates in the news media faster. Okay. Uh, it didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, it right. didn't. It didn't do that. Now, and forgive me again. I don't. I don't know the full standing of a caucus. Like, does this actually help decide who is going to be in the primaries? Yeah. Okay. This is how Iowa does it. Iowa doesn't have a primary. It does a caucus. Oh, I okay. Think, I, think, I think Nevada has a caucus. There are okay. other places that do. This makes sense now. Okay, I get it. All right. So, yeah, it was kind of a train wreck. And um, just really uh, the the usual... For the usual IT reasons, not not mm-hmm. even because it's political or because it was, I mean, other than the 4chan thing. 
IT projects fail all the time. It's just that this one, this one was very you public. Got a deadline, you have a, you know, it's very public, and it's a ship deadline that absolutely cannot be moved. Yeah, right, right. So that was fun. <laughs> oh, I'm hitting my mic. Sorry. Okay, so moving along away from politics because that's a minefield. Um. Did you hear uh, about Dell Support Assist having this weird little uh, like bug in it? Yeah, so, about uh, about two hours ago. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> you hadn't heard that. In other words, that's okay. I didn't hear about it until this morning. Now, um, I recently purchased a new laptop that's not a Dell, um, but it's from Lenovo, and um, I'm sure it has Lenovo software that does the same thing. I have a Dell hey. sitting right over here. They had this problem a couple months ago. Yeah, right, right. I, ha I have a Dell sitting right over here that when it's booted into Windows, which it usually isn't because I run primarily Fedora on it, it has Dell Support Assist on it, so it's probably vulnerable sitting right over there, turned off. Um, yeah. No, Lenovo <laughs> had this problem. We talked about it on the show. Yeah, that was a while ago. A months ago, yeah. That was a yeah. while ago. Yeah. That, was a, that was a supply chain attack, wasn't it? The Lenovo uh, one? Am I wrong? No, no, they had they had an app that had stupid... Uh, yeah, uh, I, th I thought the supply chain, like I, I thought somebody had put malicious software in there because they, there was um, some supply anyway, chain. Well, whatever. I don't remember. So, okay, so, so Dell, support, Dell... Dell Support Assist has a bug uh, which apparently can give a local attacker, so like someone who's who's got access to your machine already, super user privileges. Um, Dell Support Assist, if you're not familiar with it, is a little application that Dell ships with all of their Windows PCs uh, to help basically make sure your machine is up to date and make sure you've got all your BIOS updates and all your patches and whatever, not just Windows updates, but like Dell updates, driver updates and whatever. It's actually not a terrible little tool because I can remember the days when uh, you had to go find this stuff manually and install it and it was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, so it's nice to have, but uh, yeah, apparently it's uh, it's got a kind of a nasty bug in it. So... Um, if you've got a Dell and Dell Support Assist is telling you that there's an update for Dell Support Assist, go install it. <laughs> so so to, to sort of explain the chain of attack here, um, it's not it, it is it is uncommon to get a hold of a remote attack that gains you um, privileged user access on a machine. Yeah, that's that's not something that's uh, those are far and few between. Attacks that get you access to a low-privileged user, however, are are pretty, yes. you know, unfortunately, fairly common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happens is attacker attacks your machine, gets that low-privileged account. Now you have Dell Assist on your computer. Well, Dell Assist allows a low-privileged user um, to become a high-privileged anybody on the machine. Yeah. To arbitrarily inject DLLs into the system as a privileged user. Well, now you've just bumped yourself up to privileged user status, and now you own the entire machine. What could go wrong? So, so it's it's you know even though it's a local attack, and you have to have you know you have to have a user on the machine. Um, this is exactly the type of bug that attackers look for. Yeah. Um, immediately and, after gaining access to your machine, and knowing that it's on every Dell machine is going to be, you know, I don't know that. I haven't run a Dell Windows server in such a long time that I have no idea if this is a thing that they ship with their Windows servers. But it's on all the Dell desktops. So any, you know, any um, 
enterprise that's that you know is a Dell client, go ahead and start attacking, right? <laughs> right, right. It's not on the servers, but it's on the CEO's laptop. Right. And the and the CTO's it's laptop. on the sysadmin's the laptop that has access to all yep. the servers. No, the sysadmins are always run all, all all run Linux. Yeah, right. I wish that were the case. I so wish that were the case. So yeah, uh, either rip yeah. out Dell Support Assist or go update it. Well, one would hope that Dell Support Assist, which is there to update software, can update itself. Yeah, well, Physician, yeah, I'm sure it does, and I, I think the article said as much. Yeah, physician, heal thyself and whatnot. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so did you hear that Amazon's upset about uh, the U.S. government using Azure? No. <laughs> yes. Tell me more. I want to know what JEDI stands for. This is... Sorry, this is from Ars Technica, by the way. And we're talking about uh, Amazon wins court injunction on controversial Jedi contract. Uh, Joint Jedi. Enterprise Defense yeah. Infrastructure Deal. Oh, good. Yeah, this is a contract to build out uh, a cloud computing capability for the Defense Department. Um, the last... So it was open for bids, as government contracts are. The... Uh, you know, Oracle and IBM were in play. So was AWS, Microsoft, and uh, AWS was widely expected to win the contract. But you may have heard there's a little bit of tension between um, the uh, president of the United States and the ultimate owner of Amazon, one uh, Jeff Bezos. I don't um, like that guy either. Which one? And... Yeah, and it was rather surprising uh, in the midst of uh, criticism of one by the other that um, the contract award was suddenly announced for uh, Microsoft instead of Amazon. And so Amazon's taken the government to court alleging improprieties in the bid process. And that's not unusual. I remember Boeing suing a couple of years ago, over, I think it was Boeing, over some aircraft contract. But What, it's kind of unusual to have a t chief executive who talks smack about um, companies right. involved in the bidding process, and it just gives it the appearance of impropriety, even if there ultimately isn't any. So, I mean, the the difference between most cases of bidding contracts and this one is that Donald Trump is a businessman. You know, and that's uh, yeah, he holds himself out as one. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm so gonna go ahead and mute allegedly, entire conversation. <laughs> allegedly, he's a businessman or was a businessman. No, uh, the state of profession. Yeah. So, um, like I, I can understand he why role. he would have feelings. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> but he, has, he has no role to play here. Um, you know, this is it's this yeah. is this is a DOD matter. Yeah. So I guess the the the, the real question is that like. This is such uh, such such treacherous water because I can see Jason over there holding his tongue like <laughs> he wants to explode. Um, on one hand, it's like the the U.S. government could have chosen anybody but Amazon, and this would have been the outcome. Well, the important thing is not so much what decision they made, but why. Right. Um, and there are a lot of laws and conventions and just best practices governing how governments choose to do business yeah with people because governments the government's not supposed to be in the business of picking 
winners and losers. And when they contract with private companies, there are a whole bunch of regulations you're supposed to follow to ensure that the process is fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the concern there would be that the pro. So the question then will be, did DOD pick Microsoft because Microsoft had the best offering for what they want to do? Or because or they weren't they, Amazon. Yes, they or they picked Microsoft because um, it was made known that certain people would prefer that outcome. Yeah. One of these is legitimate, one of them is not. And yeah. so... Now, I mean, know, the there, case, there are, like, legitimate reasons to choose Azure over AWS. Um, oh, sure. Absolutely. So, you know, who knows? But, yeah, I can, I can understand how this is fishy. I'm just... To be honest, I'm getting... I'm getting tired of all of the accusations and all of the legal trouble <laughs> and all yeah, of well I'm tired of having a whiny toddler for a president but there you go no I get you it know? I get you know, it we don't get, you know this is the world that we live in I'm, and if you're, if you're tired of it you have an opportunity to express your view in November yeah I may just move to Canada I don't know their government is also wrapped up in a scandal. Right no, now. I get it. I, I don't think there there is a government in the world that will not have scandal and will not have uh, people who are unhappy and whatnot. It just happens that the one you live in is the one you notice the most. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, there were there were ways for this contract to not be controversial, but people made choices, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if indeed it was it was a fair selection and i don't know if it was Can now it's out? like it's like ah you picked them because you're a you're you're donald trump <laughs> right and uh you know i yes it should be fair and yes if he chose if, if it was chosen based on bias then that's a bad thing but i it mean is. and the way you prevent that is this is the way you do that I just I feel like our government is getting nothing done because they're too busy pointing fingers and having fingers pointing at pointed at them. And I'm not saying whose fault that is because I think it's everybody's fault. I'm just so fed up with well, our government you, in general. Well, if you'll forgive me, I think that kind of equivocal attitude is precisely why things are getting worse because you're basically like everything is bad and I don't know why. There may actually be knowable reasons why things are bad. There may be. There may be. But I, I've never claimed but, to be deeply into politics. I'm just frustrated with all of it, and I don't know what to do about it. Other than elect somebody else, and that somebody else always turns out to be just as bad or worse than the person that was already there. You might want to move on, because I'm about to say yes, something. Yes, let's do that. Really <laughs> we're, we're starting to get closer and closer to political territory that I really don't want to, don't want to get into. I'm sorry, I was napping. Are we on the next story? Good, yet? I'm glad. So uh, we're we're gonna talk about what is it, Gaffa? <laughs> uh, uh, another political this slogan. This is not a real acronym, and you can't convince me that it can't is. Can't convince you that it is. So Gaffa apparently stands for Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. Um, so who is winning? Google, Amazon, Facebook, or Apple? Is the article that we're including here. Um, to be honest, I included it because there's a crazy Venn diagram in here that basically implies that all of these vendors mentioned, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, are uh, involved in advertising. Um, and that I thought was funny, at least for Apple anyway. Google, Amazon, and Facebook absolutely are advertising giants. But there's more to this article. And it's basically is Amazon, that... Is Amazon really... I mean, Amazon 
advertises Amazon products. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call them an Amazon an, an advertising giant. Every they're, they're every an company. <laughs> they're an advertising giant. They're an advertising giant of the worst kind. But, but <laughs> they are a monopolistic advertising, advertising giant. <laughs> but every company advertises their own products, right? So Google advertise Google is an advertising company where you can go and yeah. buy ads for yeah. things. So is Facebook. Um, but Facebook, you can buy ads for things. Apple, you can go. There's an arm of Apple somewhere that you could buy ads that appear in their their advertising platform on on the iPhone. Um. Can you do that with Amazon? Well, I don't the, the, think so. The reason that it's, at least in my mind, concerning is that Amazon is so big and so over, so encompassing that they're in the same ballpark as the Googles and the Facebooks, only advertising their own stuff. Or at least things you can buy on their platform. Not necessarily their stuff, because that's what makes them so big, is that it's not all their stuff. It's all people selling through Amazon. Yeah, they're just they're a they're a marketplace. So I'll I'll put it this way: Walmart is not included in this list. Target right, is not included in this list. I understand that they are but arguably Walmart, the same class. However, Amazon is no. big enough that they're noticed <laughs> in this article. Right, but but this is these are tech giants. I would not put Walmart or target in the tech giant category. No, you're right. Um, and this is this is specifically tech giants and to be to to be honest, Microsoft actually belongs in this group as well. Yeah, you would think at this point. Um, but they don't know, fit the Venn diagram. They're not advertising giants. Right. Uh, they have their own advertising. I think Microsoft has a legitimate advertising wing now. I don't believe that Amazon does. Amazon advertises products that are on Amazon.com, period. I don't think, like, to me, that's, like, I wouldn't go to Amazon and say, hey, let's let's get an advertisement for Iron Sysamin. No, you're right. I would go to um, Facebook. Well, I'll never go to Facebook, no, but, but you could go to Facebook. You could go to Google. But you so could that's, go to Apple, and I believe you can go to Microsoft as well. That's the thing, right? So with Amazon, you don't go buy an ad with Amazon, you go list your product on Amazon. Right. Which is the same as buying an ad with Amazon. Like, that'd be equivalent to buying an ad from Google. The difference is that that you're not just paying for the ad. You're paying Amazon to sell your product. Which is why Amazon is, in my mind, big and a problem. Because they're, they're basically swallowing up the online marketplace. They're, again, they're retail. They're they're not. I I still don't see them as an advertising giant. <laughs> I we're, think we're we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. I, I just I, don't see them as an advertising. You're company. right. They're not an advertising giant. They're a retail market. They're a retail giant that is as invasive in advertising as the advertising giants is what I'm getting at. Because Maybe. they're they're such a behemoth. But anyway, that's not what this article's about. <laughs> The article actually says Google's winning based on whatever. I don't know. Uh, Jason, you said you skimmed the article more deeply than I did because I only gave it like a... I got as far as yeah. this crazy Venn diagram, and I'm like, I didn't know Venn diagrams went that deep. Yeah, they've basically, <laughs> they have basically said, yay, Google's better, Google's better, Google's better. Um, I, 
I don't know. I'm. We'll see what happens. I mean, Google's Google's got good stuff. They're they're. I would say, in this grouping, Google is the clear winner in advertising. End of story. There's no question in my mind. That is what Google is. Google is an advertising company. Yeah. Um, and they happen to have a search engine. Um, Facebook is is probably second in advertising, um, but they're they're more of a a social company. But the advertising is is a targeted thing because people are on Facebook all the time. Um, so so Google and Facebook are the two that would are the two forerunners when it comes to that particular area because they, they, you know they, it's sticky. People are on those platforms all the time. I got to find something. I go to Google. I want to bitch about something. I'm on Facebook. You know, that's just how it is. If you want to buy something, you go to Amazon. And to be honest, like, um, even, even, even as I say, like Amazon advertises their own stuff, I'm not sure that I actually see a lot of Amazon ads. If I, if I want to buy something, I just, I just go to Amazon. I, you know, I don't even, I don't looking for things that are, that are, you know, jumping up as advertisements elsewhere. Um, and Apple to me is, is more of a, a computing hardware company. Yeah. Um, what, what, uh, so you've got advertising that's sort of like three of the four. Um, you've got, um, you know, the compute sector, uh, uh, cloud computing, which is Google, Amazon, and Apple, or Google and Amazon both have. Um, and of that, Amazon, I mean, did we talk about the numbers last time? Who did I just talk about the numbers with? Um, there was a, there's a really good, um, I listened to uh, Tech Meme Ride Home. And he had a really good uh, summary of, of the numbers that came out the other day where, you know, Amazon is is pushing, you know, like nine billion or something. In oh, the, you mean in the, the quarter. in the cloud market? Yeah, in the cloud yeah, that, market. That was at the DEF CON meetup. We were talking about it. OK, so but Google Google's yearly is less than one quarter of Amazon. Yeah. And Microsoft is beating Amazon in that market right now. You know, like Google Compute is not doing well at all well that's um, obviously that's because the u.s government is using azure uh that they're yeah. beating amazon yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so but i mean like it, they're all sort of in their own area you know google competes with apple with phones <clears throat> arguably i mean software at least yeah um facebook is competing with well none of these guys in the social arena um unless you can like they have youtube here as social but I don't know. Is YouTube really social? Not not in the way that Facebook is. No, I, I wouldn't think so either. There's like a community um, aspect to YouTube, but it's not like just the average person can go be uh, be part of that community. It's it's yeah. I mean, you can't. Yeah, it's not not so, in the same way that you do with Facebook. So digital content. I mean, Facebook has there's like Facebook TV or some some nonsense now. Um, Apple's got their Apple TV and Amazon. Well, you know they've been around doing doing streaming video for forever now so yeah um i you know if you if you gear it totally towards advertising yeah google google clearly wins there's there's no question um but uh uh you know it depends on what what area you're sort of pushing at and i think you know overall i think they're they're all in they're all leaders in their own area and I'm not sure where they pare it down to just these four companies because there's other companies that really should be in the mix. Yeah, I think you're right. And it really is because they're tech giants. You're right. That like that's the Right. That's right. The and thing. they're they're like you wouldn't put yeah. Twitter in this list, for example. 
Because while they are a popular social network, they're nowhere near the size of Facebook. Just face it. Right. Nowhere near the size of any of these folks. Right. They're also narrowly focused. You know, they're not, you know, they do advertising and they they do social and that's it, really. So anyway, uh, we've beaten that one to death. Let's talk about um, emulation. Yay, emulation. All right, so this is from The Verge. Uh, Microsoft's new Windows 10X emulator lets anybody play around with the dual-screen OS. So they have a picture of a laptop here that I I assume is a prototype of whatever this Windows 10X is supposed to run. It's got, and I assume this is the dual-screen nature of it, it's like the Apple Touch Bar on, like, steroids. (laughs) Okay, so... um... That's a separate keyboard. The ten, the ten X is actually take the keyboard away. The ten X is a, is just a folding tablet. Oh, I get it. The, there's a keyboard scroll, laying on top of the thing. I see now. Yes, yeah, scroll scroll down. There's pictures of it. That's what I. Oh, there it is. Okay. But why would you put the keyboard on top of the touch? Because screen? typing typing on a touch screen sometimes sucks when you want to do fast things. But so that's... it's. It's it's you know it's it feels you can do wrong. a lot with this. You're, you're thing. gonna smudge up the screen. You can't do that. Maybe it's got like a you know a surface on the bottom of it that, yes. that actually doesn't smudge the screen. It cleans it when that, you put it on. That's got to be it. Okay, this is better now. <laughs> All right. So anyway, anyway <laughs> the article is basically saying, hey, there's an emulator of Windows 10X, uh, and you can try it out if you really wanted to. And there's a little more detail than that. <laughs> Yeah. So basically, this is a this is a dual display sort of uh, folding tablet that runs a variation of Windows 10 called Windows 10X. Yeah. That has a whole bunch of changes, and now there's an emulator, and you two can go play with it. Why do you say sort of? Like I, I would call that dual display. Looking because at the pictures, if you fold it open, it's a single display. Uh, okay. I thought that that was the idea. If you fold it open, you're supposed to be able to use it. Is is or is this not the one that you could do that with? I mean, it looks that way, but it's still a dual Maybe display. It, There's still two yeah. physical displays. They just act as one when you open it all the way. Okay, fine. It's a dual display that tries to trick you. <laughs> you got to gotta get that in there, don't you? You just have to. <laughs> it's not really. It is, but it isn't. It runs Windows. I'm never going to use it. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh all right, and the last article for the night, thankfully, uh, <laughs> is from the New York Times because it's the first article I came across because I couldn't find the article I originally read this in. But uh, IBM's uh, CEO, right? She was CEO. Ginny Rometty is stepping down. Rometty, did I pronounce that right? Is stepping down as a CEO of IBM. Um, Isn't this person ultimately your boss? Uh, sure. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes and no. I don't want to go into the like crazy depth there, but essentially, um, IBM owns Red Hat. Yes. No, no, right. So IBM owns Red Hat, but Red Hat is still acting as a separate entity, right? So, yes, technically, from a hierarchy structure, there are IBM people above the guy who's running Red Hat, who, um, by the way, is now apparently becoming president of IBM which is really what caught me in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there were a lot of people that were speculating that. So um, Ginny is stepping down. Um, there's a lot of reasons that have been publicized as to why. Some people say that, 
well, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. Um, let's see. I'm sure the article goes into it. But basically, she's stepping down. She's being replaced by the head of IBM's um, cloud or the president of, the, of their cloud branch. Um, I have no idea if I'm going to pronounce this properly. Arvind Krishna? Krishna sounds easy to... Arvind, is that... Uh, yeah, uh, Krishna is definitely right. Krishna's um, right. I think Arvind is his first name. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to be stepping up, I guess, into her old position uh, in April. And the... Uh, so Jim Whitehurst, who was previously or currently CEO of Red Hat, uh, is going to be stepping into president at IBM. So um, it's not quite the move I was expecting. A lot of people were speculating that Ginny was going to step down and Jim was going to move into her place. Um, so that's a little different than some of the speculations that I had heard, but it's still kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm really interesting to find out where it's going to go. Um, I have not heard anything internally as to how this affects Red Hat yet. Not that I could talk about it publicly anyway, <laughs> but I'm telling you I have not anyway. <laughs> So uh, it's interesting times is all I'm going to say. I don't know who's going to become CEO of Red Hat. Again, nothing's been made public, um, but it's uh, we're, we're all watching very closely. Well, this would all certainly seem to underscore the importance of Red Hat to IBM's growth plans. Yes, I would, I would think. So a lot of people speculated, and this is public, uh, that the whole reason IBM bought Red Hat is because they needed a better cloud strategy, and Red Hat has a bunch of cloud software. So this whole thing really does feel like it makes sense, right? What was IBM's cloud offering before they bought Red Hat? Uh, they have a thing. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking a dig. I don't know. You're, you're you're joining a lot of people that 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 basically looked around and went, "Wait, IBM had a cloud? They they did." They did or do, they I should did. say, have a they public did. cloud, I believe. They I don't know what do. it's called, yeah. but they also have a private cloud offering, yes. which is like a container uh, platform. And um. they're still selling the hell out of that AS400. <laughs> so the the, the, uh, the rumors that I heard, not rumors, but I, just, I guess the articles that I read shortly after the purchase was that the that container platform is going to be replaced with OpenShift, and that was part of the reason for the purchase. Um, I have, again, not heard any inside information that tells me that that is or is not the case. Um, but, you know, I got to be careful what I share <laughs> because of where I am and what I do. I don't want to... I don't... Um, I don't want to make this into some kind of a, uh, you know, Red Hat propaganda pad- uh, podcast. Um, I like to think that I've always been a Red Hat fanatic, and that's always come through in this show, and I don't want that to change too much. <laughs> well, you know, um, there was a constant, you know, there's the con- the old concept of the so-called useful idiot, um, where essentially you have somebody who's a willing propagandist, but they do it without being told. <laughs> Thanks. Are you calling me a useful hey. idiot? I did not say such. I was just explaining <laughs> a little bit of history for our listeners. Um, so, at any rate, there's a bunch of uh, power changing going on in both Red Hat and IBM, and that's what the news article has meant to to bring us. And that closes the news, unless uh, either of you had any more commentary on the matter. No, take, I have I'll no news. Take that as a no. Good then. All right, so I guess uh, it's been a fun show. We we almost uh, delved into politics, which is a thing we've never wanted to do. 
we're gonna try not to do that. I uh, I almost it's talked. Okay, I'm muted. It's it's okay. You're muted. Um, and Is he uh, muted, or did he just drop out of the broadcast again? Yeah, no, no, he's obviously he was muted because when he dropped out, we saw. <laughs> All right, so I think we're gonna call it a night for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, I need to get back to my show notes so I can do the usual close. Where is it? Here it is. Uh, right, you can watch us roughly on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can uh, tell when we go live. I also share that stuff on Twitter and Facebook, so you should find us there if you'd rather not subscribe to us on YouTube. But you should go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. We're almost at 200 subscribers. Not that, not that I care that much about that. YouTube is less of a goal and more of just a medium. Um, we have 100, which is enough to stream like we do and enough to have a custom name, and that's really all I cared about. Uh, I would say you can join our Slack workspace, but that link still doesn't work because I'm still undecided as to what we're doing about chat. <laughs> I think that probably means we're just going to stick with Slack. <laughs> so I'll have to get that uh, that link fixed so people can join again. Um, I already mentioned the socials. Uh, you can subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you like. If you find a, pad a podcast platform you like that we're not listed on, let us know so we can find out how to get listed there. And uh, don't forget, as I mentioned earlier, you can support us monetarily via Patreon, patreon.com slash ironsysadmin. And with that, I think we can call it a night. You guys have any last words? You want to say goodnight? Whatever? Whatever. I knew it. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Bye, all. All right, folks. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for watching and listening.